Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our latest webinar, Grow Revenue as an Executive Leader, How to Align, Collaborate, and Execute to Ace It. In it, we're discussing how to get your entire leadership team on board with sales growth. It's happening this Wednesday, August 26th at 12 p.m. Eastern. For more information, check out the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 282. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited about today's returning guest. This is his second time on our show. He was actually in episode 216 back in January of this year. And if you'd like to listen back to that episode, it is criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 216. He is the founder and uh, the co-founder, we literally just talked about that, that's what's written down, the co-founder and CEO of DealPoint.io, which is a tool that helps sales teams be more buyer-centric. It helps make buying and selling more efficient for everybody involved. He has over 20 years of experience in sales and marketing and is the co-president of the AAISP in Portland, Oregon. We are so glad to have you back, Tom Williams. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure to be back on. It is so funny to me that literally you reminded me to say co-founder. Co-founder was written down and we were just talking about the importance of co-founder relationships and I called you the founder. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, co-founder, co-founder, founder, it's all, it, honestly, it's all the same. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I just like to recognize that there are very few single humans who make something happen. There's nearly Absolutely. always the team involved. Definitely. And we're big believers in the power of team. Well, um, I'm so glad we could have you back because I, um, first of all, as we get started, I just share the top level highlights from your bio, but I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. I know some of them probably remember back when you were on the show before, but we've got a lot of new listeners since then. So I'm sure they'd love to hear a bit about your story. And you could either kind of share the history, the journey of how you got to where you are today, or um, more about what it is that you're doing right now. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, currently, I'm the CEO of uh, DealPoint, which is the chief eating officer. Uh, my my primary role is making sure <laughs> that everybody's well fed at the company and that they can focus on what they're doing. Uh, the The place that I came to to DealPoint was uh, for years and years. I was a marketer. I was in a board meeting. Mm-hmm. I don't know, in 2013, something like that. And I was VP of marketing and the VP of sales uh, said to the board, I don't know what the hell happened. And literally the next week I became the VP of sales and marketing. So I, <laughs> I, I come to sales from a marketing background, but I kind of like it because before I used to have all these you know fancy campaigns and theories, how to get leads and how to uh, hone the message and all that stuff. But it really, the rubber hits the road when you're also responsible for the number at the end of the quarter. Uh, mm-hmm. I really, really like it, the the model where the sales team and the marketing team report into one uh, one ringable neck. And so mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> did that for a while. Uh, the, the way the deal point kind of came to me was my sales team would consistently say, this is the electronics business. They'd say, you're guaranteed close by the end of the month. The customer loves the product. And they're going to buy. And I'd say, well, why? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, they love it. It's cool. And I've kind of filed that away <laughs> in, in the back of my mind. And I, I left uh, that place and then went to go work for a uh, uh, electron, sorry, um, um, e-commerce um, enterprise SaaS. Mm-hmm. 
So completely different market, completely different everything, but the exact same thing happened. The rep said, you know, they say it's so cool. It looks great and they're going to buy. I said, well, why do you think that? And I said, well, they said it was cool. So it was this, <laughs> it was this disconnect between what the reps were hearing and what the customer was actually thinking. And mm-hmm. you know, over the years, I've learned that if you're not really dialed into what the customer's priorities are, then they can think it's cool all day long but you're not mm-hmm. going to get a sale. So the what we do now is we really make uh, a point to say, you need to have a plan between today and your customer seeing value. Otherwise, it's just going to be cool software and they're not going to actually buy it. So that's what we do. We make it a lot easier for sales teams to find that value with their customers and then make a clear path between today and them seeing value uh, through your solution. Absolutely. I think that's that's so incredibly important. And that point you made about how you saw this in multiple industries, you know, wildly different industries, and yet you were hearing the same thing. It is so important that salespeople do drink the Kool-Aid of what it is that they're selling, right? You need to be passionate about it. You need to strongly believe in it. And if you don't, you might need to find a new place to, to sell because you can't you know, correctly advocate for your your offering. But you cannot expect that your prospects and customers have drunk the Kool-Aid like you have. And so understanding that customer buyer journey, as well as, you know, being enthusiastic about the offering, uh, those are, those are, you know, both kind of equally important there. (laughs) I see, I see a lot of similarity between good salespeople and engineers. Uh, So I work as Mm -hmm. as the co-founder, I work very closely with our engineering team. And when I see a good engineer, it's somebody who has identified a problem and is working mm-hmm. to fix it. So mm-hmm. en- the, the tools of the engineer is software or your know, hardware, whatever it is, and they're building the solution. But the salesperson has the exact same challenge, a good salesperson. They're walking mm-hmm. in and they're saying, I can see a problem in your setup. There's something that could be done better. There's something that you're done. You're doing that's broken. Let me show you how to fix it. And mm-hmm the tools that the salesperson has are the things that they sell, the, the, the software or the hardware, whatever it is that that person is selling. But it's still the same thing. You're going in and you're saying, here is a way to fix your problem. If, if you have that mindset, then you're going to be a value-add seller and you're going to be helpful and you're going to make a lot more money than if you are just shouting at everybody, buy my thing, buy my thing. That doesn't help. <laughs> Absolutely. But so, yeah, so, yeah, so you, you really need to understand what the customer, you need to understand that customer market as well as have that passion and belief that your product can actually fix a problem that they have. Absolutely. Um, we, we always focus on problem solving in sales and discovery-based selling, having people understand and discover whether your offering is a solution for their problem. They first have to sometimes discover that they have a problem. Maybe they didn't even know that, but mm-hmm. um, that's, that's so important. And I want to pivot now because I listened back to our conversation from January um, and it, I just, I loved it. You know, there's a reason that we brought you back, but uh- it, it, it was a bit of a different world in January before yes, what we're experiencing yes. right now. You know, across the world, they were starting to experience a little bit of, of what we're seeing, but it hadn't really uh, turned into much. And now, um, you know, as we talked about, we've both been working from home for a solid five months and um, the world has changed. So I'd love to hear from your perspective. I know you talk to a lot of sales leaders and, and salespeople, and obviously you have a sales team as well. What are some of the things that you've seen that have changed? and what it takes to be successful in the current situation. 
so I think there's a there's a, a double whammy. There are two different mm-hmm. motions happening, and unfortunately, they're playing into each other. Mm-hmm. So you know, plenty of people have sold through down economies, and there's a yes. whole a whole world of different strategies that you have to do when you're dealing in a down economy. Like you have to again, you have to be way more focused on the customer outcome because they don't have spare budget to to risk something. It's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll give that a go. You don't hear that in a down economy, whereas everything's humming. They're like, yeah, sure, I'll give that a go. But yep. there are fewer people on the job now. Uh, they have much more focus on their top priorities. All the all the fat's being cut away. In a way, mm-hmm. it's good because they really need to get that uh, goal done. You know, they, they, yeah. There's no fluff on their end either. So if you can show that, I can help you get that mission critical thing done because the only thing they're working on now is mission critical. If you can say, I've been there before, this solution will help you fix that mission critical, then you've actually got better stories. So there's a silver lining there that anything they are working on is a lot more important to them. But mm-hmm. that's, that's the down economy world. Uh, but at the same time, there's this remote world. And what we've seen is that sellers are less impacted uh, from the selling perspective because an awful mm-hmm. lot of salespeople that I know already worked from a home office yeah, or from a hotel room or from whatever. That's not the big change. But the big change is that the buyers have mm-hmm. now got a new reality. And that is that the consensus building that is critical for actually making a decision, uh, the apparatus for that has gone away. It used to be that your champion would go find the naysayer at their desk and just kind of you know knock on the cubicle wall, have a quick chat with them, or yep. would see them in the lunchroom and or, or go out and uh, in the smoke break, find them and talk to them unofficially. Or when when your champion was saying, "Okay, I'm going to take this to my boss," you and I can visualize myself doing this. I would peek through the window of the of the boss's uh, office <laughs> and I would look at uh, at his body language. And I'm visualizing mm-hmm. Dave Schmoll, right? Dave Schmoll, I'm visualizing you right now. Uh, I would look to see, you know, is he in a receptive mood? Is this the right mm-hmm. time to bring up the fact that I want to spend $100,000 on something as <laughs> back when I was a VP? But that is gone now. You can't mm-hmm. read somebody and you can't get that little informal um, cajoling or informal read on somebody. Mm-hmm. So the buying process has, it was already pretty stilted and you know at the best of times and now it's even worse because they're under more pressure because of the um because of the down economy thing but they also can't read their um their colleagues so the political dynamics have changed when your champion's trying to make your case for you plus you i used to see this all the time i would if there's something i really wanted i would print it out i would highlight it i'd like write a little note and i would mm-hmm. leave it on my boss's desk that's gone now too. So yeah, you're not exactly mailing it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I mean, a I lot of you haven't got a printer at home. They haven't got a goddamn yeah. printer. So these assumptions that I could, I could just leave something on on my colleague's desk for them to look at later, or I could read their language and see if it's a good time. Now all that's gone. So as a seller, we have to make uh, much more effort on making it easier for the buyer to buy. And this was mm-hmm. the funny thing is, is that that was already true. I think everything yes. everything that we talk about in this in a both a down economy and in the the remote buying economy it was already true it's just a lot more true now and a lot more focused that if you don't do it you're going to fail a lot harder because 
that the fluffiness is gone. That there's a lot harder edges between success and failure, and a lot uh, a lot more riding on being able to successfully put the tools that your buyer needs to make that decision in front of them. Absolutely, I. I love, um, and this came up in our last conversation too, and that's um, one of the reasons that, that we wanted to bring you back is that you're always focused on the buyer and you're always thinking about that buyer experience. And so often people think about how hard selling is and selling is hard. Um, I'm not saying it's not, buying is hard. And people don't realize, buyers are not trained to buy, like salespeople are trained to sell, right? Nobody nobody majored in buying in college. I don't think well, that's a well, field of study. We, 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 don't, we don't have a decision to make. So the hard things yeah. in life are decisions, right? Going Absolutely. a bunch of known knowns, easy. I, honestly, one of, one of my most favorite relaxing things to do is go to the beach and just dig the deepest hole I can because mm-hmm. I have complete control over it. I keep digging until I hit the, you know, the sea level. And I find it relaxing because there are no uh, unknown unknowns. Everything's known. I keep digging, the hole gets d- deeper. The the tough things in life is when you have to make a decision. So salespeople don't have to make any decision at all. They're like, shall I take this PO or not? That That's not the problem. <laughs> the, the poor old buyer is the one who has to evaluate three or four different vendors. And in an economy like this, it can be a, it's not life or death, but it's, it's success or failure, firing or not mm-hmm. being fired. If they choose yep. the wrong vendor or if they go for the horrible no decision and don't change their ways, then that's a really big deal. And they're going to get blamed if it goes wrong. So mm-hmm. they're the ones who really have the risk. The, the seller doesn't have any risk. The seller, the risk is the guy doesn't buy it and you just go on to the next person. But with the poor old buyer, there's an immense amount of risk and stress and political capital and all that stuff. So so yeah, they they are the ones who need the resources and the help to make this, you know, Frank, it should be a life altering decision to buy your stuff. And, and, you know, I would say a, a pox upon the salesperson who doesn't recognize that and who forces the wrong solution onto a customer, thus, you know, precipitating their doom. I think it's, I, I think that's unethical. Mm-hmm. You you really, you, you should, as a seller, you should have a pretty high confidence that what you're selling is going to actually make their lives better. Uh, or easier, or all those things, because it's going to yeah. come back on you. So, but it's, yeah. it's the buyer who ultimately needs to make that decision and rally his or her colleagues around them and find the budget and make it happen. And that's real stressful. So, yeah, we do, we really do need to think about that process uh, is, is really what should be driving the conversation. Absolutely. It's, it's funny that you, you mentioned it kind of, that you, positioned it that way. Because if you think about it, um, I actually, I'm going to go back. Charles Bernard, our CEO um, and founder, always likes to to tell a story. He used to work for GE. That was um, what brought him from the UK to the US back in the day. And his boss told him something that was a breakthrough for him. And that literally at this point, you know, well over 30 years later, he still thinks about and says, which is you're not a salesperson, you're a career builder. And if you can help your prospect, help your client make the right decision and look good in front of their boss and build their career, that's always going to work out effectively for you. Mm-hmm. And anything you do that wouldn't help with that, whether that is you know, not being able to show people the value that you can provide or by selling something that's wrong, that's not actually going to help somebody be successful, uh, that is, that's 
not what you should be doing. You know, you, you can, and it doesn't matter, honestly, what it is that you sell, even if it seems more of a commodity or it seems more of a, um, you know, a, even sometimes like the nice to have, sometimes the luxuries, it's, it's always a risk. It's always a decision that that buyer has to make. And if you can't help them understand how choosing you helps them, and if, by the way, choosing you doesn't help them, um, you need to know that yeah. you haven't done your job. Sales should not just be, you know, let me put the product in front of you and, you know, sign on the dotted line. But instead, you have to be able to, to do that diagnosing of what is the problem? What's the situation? And and this to me is, is the side of an exceptional salesperson. Can you identify the ROI? If your prospect doesn't know exactly what it is that they're looking for, you know, can you help them discover how much money they might save by going through your solution? Um, if it can't be in dollars and cents, can you help them articulate the problem and the pain that they're experiencing and the vision for what it would be if they didn't have that? I, one of the one of the the uh, truisms that I like to trot out. So we we sell mutual action plan software, but what we mm-hmm. always say is that it's not a mutual action plan to selling your stuff. It's a mutual mm-hmm. action plan to fixing the customer's problem. And yes. to the, the the practical manifestation of that is a lot of mutual action plans end on close, like on, on sign. So a traditional close mm-hmm. plan, it ends on the day that the customer signs the contract. Uh, a, a more sophisticated person, seller, might end on onboarding. But we actually mm-hmm. recommend uh, the last milestone in a mutual action plan should be the day when they say, God, I'm glad I gave you some money. Because yes. that is their value day. That's their, that's the, t- you, you understand the time to value and you can stick it on the, on the timeline to say, buy, buy this thing now. So it's a four month sales cycle to buy my thing. And then three months after that, you are going to see the following ROI. You're going to see $15,000 extra in your, um, in your monthly MRR, whatever it is, having an awareness of what that value is and when it's going to land makes a real big difference, both to the credibility that you have, but then also to actually fixing the person's problem. And I'm a really big fan of calling out that that end date because the God, I'm glad I gave you money day is actually important. Not only is it the ROI day, but it's also the first time that the seller should be asking for a referral because you've shown that you can, that you prove value. And so not only do you prove to the buyer that this is an important day for everybody, but also as a seller, now you have an opportunity to go ask for a referral or an upsell or cross sell, whatever it is. You shouldn't be doing it before that date because it's too early. Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of people um, in sales who feel like they close the, you know, they get the deal signed and then they just throw it over the fence and they don't think about that customer again. And then, you know, the quarterly business review comes up and they're mm-hmm. going to read the, you know, the little reports that they get from the delivery team and, and show up for the meeting and kind of try to upsell. And it's a very different thing doing that, just kind of checking out and trying to jump back in than understanding from that very beginning, what's the goal we're working toward. And then yep. that also gives you opportunity to check in with that client over time. You know, um, by now you should be seeing X, Y, Z. Are you seeing that? If not, let me know. And I yes. can... Talk to you, and we can figure this out. Maybe I need to connect you with our implementation team again. Maybe something didn't go right. It gives you that that opportunity to stay engaged because you're on a path, and you both know you're on the same path, pointed toward the same goal. So the, the strategy we recommend there is with with the mutual action plan or whatever it is that you're how you're communicating this this deal with your customer 
is have a team list. So here、mm. are the people on the selling side.、Uh, I'm I'm your I'm Tom, your your、um, account executive. But here's Stacy. She's head of、uh, customer service. Here's Mary. She's our、uh, chief engineer. These are the people who are going to make your Uh, your process successful. That builds a lot of credibility in the eyes of the buyer to understand who is on that selling team,、mm-hmm. and what you end up with is,、uh, it's a lot easier as you go back later because it's not just the one AE that the customer was talking to, but understanding that there's an entire team back there. So the earlier、mm-hmm. you introduce those other players on the selling team, the easier it is actually to hand them over in later parts of the of the.、Uh, Of the deal, absolutely. And what we see a lot of times as well is when you get those non-sales people、uh, involved in the process, you're going to get two additional values out of it. First of all, if they're involved in conversations with that client, they are going to notice red flags and、um, potential changes that need to be made early rather than late. I had、mm-hmm. a client. Um, this was a few years ago, and they literally had a process of when sales would close something, the implementation team had to basically resell it because they had to go、yeah. in and still scope out what the actual、um, thing would look like. The salespeople were selling the concept, and then the poor implementation team, who were not salespeople,、um, had to go in and sell the、mm-hmm. actual details of the offering. We were like, "This is silly." And、uh, kind of dumb. And so, why don't you have an implementation person sit in on, you know, some of the last sales meetings, start to、mm-hmm. do that work in the sales process, so they don't have to redo it again frantically when they're signing,、um, you know, when they're trying to get the customers set up. And it it's just silly. <laughs> well, another the- case too is when, when deals get when deals get stuck. One of the easiest ways is for a peer to peer call. So. If in the selling team you include your VP of engineering, say, because that's the person who is going to be involved in this deal at some point, and then it's not weird at all for them to reach out to their peer on the sell on the buyer side, the VP of engineering on the buyer side, and then they can have a non-sales peer-to-peer call, and those calls are often those those senior-to-senior calls are what get deals unstuck. So if they already know who each other are because they can see him,、uh, the buyer can see the Uh, her peers' for,、uh, profile on、mm-hmm. the mutual action plan, then it's a lot easier. So have, and again, it doesn't matter how you do this, but share the concept of who your selling team is, so that you can foster those peer-to-peer relationships、uh, up and、mm-hmm. down the line. Absolutely, it's it's always interesting when you see a really effective team sell. And what happens a lot is because there are unfortunately so many negative stereotypes of salespeople in the world, and unfortunately there are some salespeople who do live up to those negative stereotypes. Salespeople aren't always the most trusted person in the selling conversation, right?、Um, you've got a buyer, especially if it's a technical sale. They've probably been burned before, and they know that salespeople are not necessarily. Technical experts, you know, they're going to have enough information to make them dangerous, but sometimes that's dangerous. <laughs> and、um, you might have bought something from a salesperson who thought the product or service could do something, and then their implementation or who, or who wished, who yeah, wished, like, yeah, it, it should be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it be able to do that,、uh, Elizabeth? Of course it can. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm sure it could. You know, the engineers will say it'll take you know ten thousand hours and、uh, technology、yep. that doesn't exist yet, but it could happen one day. It will.、Um, yeah, it versus, yeah. 
you aren't often going to see now engineers, I'm not saying they don't have good ideas and they're not creative, but they understand what's easy and what's difficult. They understand what your offering currently does and what's in the short term plan for, um, you know, the short term roadmap mm -hmm. of, of developments and improvements and what is maybe going to happen five years from now, but definitely not now. And so what you're going to see a lot of times when you have that team involved in the process is either the, the technical counterpart on the buyer side, or even sometimes the champion, the executive stakeholder, the decision maker will reach out to the technical person almost to validate what they're hearing from the salesperson. And that technical person can be saying literally the exact same thing, but it, they have so much more credibility and more trust um, in a highly detailed technical sale. And so the earlier you can get them involved, you're also establishing um, confidence in the yeah. buyer's mind. And what you were talking about earlier in terms of the buyer is the one making the risky decision. The buyer is the one mm -hmm. who's uncertain and afraid. And so the more you can do to give them that certainty, whether it's, you know, here's the vision of, of what we're working toward, or here's the team. Look at, they're all saying the same thing. We have a process. We're spelling it out. This is what implementation looks like. That's just comforting. And um, uncertainty so I, is I, not, not fun. <laughs> I, I like to, I like to split sales up into three uh, parts. And I, I, I'm sure other people have said this too. But I think that there's credibility, discovery, and accountability. So that does that credibility phase is where you're saying we've done this before. This would be the team who's working on your on your outcome for you, and that's mm -hmm. exactly where you can bring in those those other players. I like I always recommend throw your boss into the team because essentially mm -hmm. you're saying anything I've said here I would say in front of my boss, and that yes. goes a long way towards credibility, uh, mm -hmm. and. Then the second phase is that discovery where you can say, now that now that you trust me and I, you can see that we've done this before, let's make an actual plan to make your situation happen. And then mm -hmm. you can die, you can drill into their specifics and say, these are the um, these are the steps that we would need to do to implement our solution to fix your problem, but specifically. And let's get some dates on the calendar. Let's figure out who needs to be involved in which. And because you've already established the credibility that you've done this before, the discovery is a lot easier because you're jumping from milestone to milestone to say, well, we know that in month three, we would need to have a network analysis call. We're going to bring in Sarah. Who would that be on your side? And that's just a lot different than saying, tell me who your VP of, uh, of uh, IT is. Mm -hmm. you're, you're giving them context for why are you asking is, well, we're getting towards, we want to get your problem fixed. So if they're not willing to tell you, then that's a very good sign that you didn't successfully build up that credibility that you have a good solution for them. So perhaps you jump the gun. Mm -hmm. And if they are willing to share with you, then you're a lot more likely to close the deal because you have all the, the details in place. And then finally, the accountability part comes in where the you got a plan and now you can hold both the buying team and the selling team accountable because they, we agreed that we would do this. And if it is at risk of falling behind, then you can see it really clearly because we're on milestone two out of seven here, but we're already falling behind. So let's get back on track and mm -hmm. keeping each other accountable towards a timeline just makes it a lot more likely that the deal is not going to slip into the next quarter. Absolutely. And um, especially, you know, kind of we've been focused a bit now, uh, a bit lately on, on the buyer side, but on the sales side. It's so common that salespeople have these, you know, wishes and hopes and dreams that something is going to close. And then a lot of times what's happening is they've been promising that information up to the leadership. And most leaders are, you know, 
intelligent and and experienced here and they know that they're going to take it with a bit of a grain of salt. But it's really hard to run a business anytime, but especially in you know a down economy if you don't have a strong sense of what your forecast is what's coming next yeah that, so- that's probably that's probably our biggest selling point actually is the or, or the biggest problem that we solve is certainty on ca- can i trust the number that's coming out of my reps and mm-hmm. the i mean i always i always am suspicious of dates that are closing at the end of the month because mm-hmm. i was like <laughs> That's a funny coinkydink that it's closing at the end of the month. Why is that? So yeah, you do want to you do want to look at the the reasons why the rep thinks it's going to close on time, or what confidence factors do they have? And it's not well, I called fifteen times. It's more like I've got mm-hmm. the right people in place. We know that deals close when we have the following people on the buying team, and we've got them on the buying team, and they've agreed mm-hmm. to this plan. That feels good. Absolutely. We had a client, this was a few years ago, who, um, and in a different world when you could go to offices and such, but they realized that there was a certain meeting that they needed to have in the in the buying and selling process that would involve the prospect coming to their office um, uh-huh. to go through some confidential information. It was a, it was a financial um, offering, and so they, they couldn't really do it remotely. And they realized that if they could get that meeting to happen with certain people involved on their side and on the client side, their close rate was like 85, 90% on those deals. And anytime you couldn't get that meeting to happen, or you had only one person show up or, you know, not the certain criteria met, uh, it was a significantly lower chance of a close. And it wasn't because that meeting is magical, but it was, it was a couple of things. First of all, the meeting was, you know, run very well and, and very organized and and helpful, but it was also an indicator that you had done the work of preparing somebody for that meeting and they were willing to invest the time and effort in going to the office for that meeting. And so if you have those clear milestones in your process, if you have those clear indicators, whether it's, you know, we've identified the the buying and implementation team on the on the customer side, you either have or you haven't. <laughs> if it's we've yeah. scheduled a meeting to look at, you know, the the demo environment, either you've scheduled that meeting or you haven't. If instead of just, well, I think they like it. I think it's, you know, it's pretty solid. They said they kind of need it. Um, it's important to them. They've got a priority. It's a Q2 thing. That's that doesn't mean anything. But when you've got seven steps in the process and you're on step four, we know what that means. I really like the concept of a trial close. Each one of the accomplishing mm-hmm. each of these milestones is a trial close that, yeah, they're still on board. And the yes. more of the more certainty you can have earlier, because the other big the other big kicker is not only do you have this dumb number or this bad number on your board that is going to fail you at the end. So you end up um no, it's worse than just egg on your face. Like the the rest of the company has already spent that revenue. They're planning mm-hmm. on keeping your colleagues' salaries based on that money. And mm-hmm. if they knew that actually it wasn't going to come in, they could plan for it in advance. You know, maybe go get another PPP loan or something. But mm-hmm. if you if you promise the money's going to come in and then it doesn't, it's it's dire. Uh, Absolutely. But not only that, not only are you letting the rest of your team down by not facing the facts of the money's going to come in or not, you're also wasting your own time on a bad deal, chasing this bad thing when in fact, if it's not going to close, if that milestone number two is, you know, is a good indicator that it's not going to happen, walk away from that deal and go prospect somebody else, please. Yeah, it's, 
it's interesting to me how um, so often you see that the that the steps in the process on the sales side are entirely focused on actions that the salesperson and the sales team is taking and not on actions that, again, were mutually agreed upon between you and the buyer that the buyer is taking. Because I, as a salesperson, can check a lot of boxes. You know, I sent them this email. Um, I provided them with this marketing material. I did this and this and this and this. Did the buyer ever actually raise their hand? Did they ever actually take that step forward? And if you can't get like, you know, the term you use, trial, close, whatever you want to call it. But if you can't get your buyer to agree to do stuff for you, agree to give stuff to you, agree to show up at at certain um, indications, they haven't bought. (laughs) They haven't bought your time. They haven't bought, um, you know, even the opportunity. They're way far away from buying if it's just been constantly you out as opposed to a back and forth and a dialogue. So one one of the things that we do is we offer uh, here at DealPoint, we always offer to take somebody's existing mutual action plan or even take their um, their sales process and refactor it into a more customer-centric mutual action plan. And that's one of our trial closes because if they're not if they're not willing to share, you know, those are pretty confidential documents, right? That, that's it's kind of that's that's inside their organization. If they're not willing mm-hmm. to share that, then that's a very good sign that we didn't hit that trust criteria and if mm-hmm. they don't have one that's a very good sign that they're not a fantastic match for us because you know, if, if they have some kind of mutual action plan then they're a much better prospect for the kind of um, platform that we sell the knowing where they stand on that by asking them to share something with us and asking them then to share that with one of their friendlies is a great trial close for us so we built that into our sales process and certainly as a best practice Build some of those in early on so that you don't waste time on bad deals. Absolutely. I think one of the easiest things to do as a salesperson is get really emotionally invested in a deal. Um, I think part of that maybe comes from the fact that so often salespeople are hired because they have that competitive drive and so they want to win the deal. Uh, but it's it's hard to sometimes let go and to disqualify. But if you're going to get a no, it's a whole lot better to get a no, you know, a week or two weeks into a potential opportunity than to spend three, four months and a lot of your time as a salesperson and a lot of the rest of your team's time, you know, and building out a, a sample demo environment and, and coming yeah. up with a detailed scope and, and doing all this work if you could have disqualified earlier on. So the process of disqualifying is almost more important than the process of qualifying because it, it gives you time and space for other things. Quite. And that's why it's nice as a manager. So we did a whole big thing on disqualification last year. Uh, what we learned loud and clear was it's driven by the manager expectation. So if the manager says, mm-hmm. I want a big fat pipeline, then yep. there will be a big fat pipeline with a bunch of garbage in it. Sure. If the manager says, we want a one, you know, we want a two to one close ratio, then they'll, then the, the, the reps have a sneaky spreadsheet somewhere with all their opportunities and they only put the guaranteed closes into Salesforce an hour before it closes. You know, mm-hmm. Neither of those are great. So if as a manager, you can set clear expectations of this is what a well-qualified deal looks at miles at um, opportunity stage one, two, and three, then it's a lot easier for the reps to be honest about the health of it. And they can, mm-hmm. they can lean back on your, on your opportunity standards, your exit criteria for a reason why they're kicking it out. So they're not saying, I'm a loser, I couldn't close this deal, which no rep's going to say. <laughs> uh, instead, you're they're saying, 
this deal does not meet the criteria that we as an organization agreed it needs to be at for the stage. I'm recommending we dump it. And then in that review, the boss says, I think that's a fine recommendation. Or the rep says, I know it doesn't meet this. You know, there's five red flags here, but for whatever reason, for the, for the following reason, I think that this bucks a trend and we can make it happen. I always Mm -hmm. used to tell my, my team, they can have one white whale per, uh, per quarter. Of, I love it. You know, I also I also said they're allowed to be rude to one customer per quarter. That was my that was my <laughs> quota. Because yeah, sometimes you just got to give it back. So absolutely. If you if you have the if you have those expectations of this is what this is how we grade a deal, it's a lot easier for the reps to take their own pride out of it. And instead, mm-hmm. I had a great thing yesterday talking to a prospect. They said we we grade the deal. We don't grade the rep. And so uh, yes. look at, now of course, you know, if the rep comes with a whole lot of Fs constantly, then maybe you uh-huh. do kind of look at the rep, but probably it's the process. There's a very good chance. And certainly if they're following the process, then there's a very good chance that the problem is, can be rectified with better process versus constantly hiring and firing reps. Absolutely. Um, one thing I want to spend a couple minutes on, because I think this is important, We touched earlier on the fact that buyers don't have the ability to kind of use relationships and use personal connection um, to help smooth the buying process inside their organizations. Well, there are a lot of salespeople who depended on personality and relationships and smoothing things over, whether it was showing up in the prospect office and, you know, bringing cookies or being just that, that wonderful, cheerful, um, vibrant, engaging person that people just aren't, are attracted to, you know, being magnetic. Uh, And, and that might be more difficult or some things are impossible in the current environment. So what are you seeing in terms of, um, the sales challenges associated with that lack of connection and um, what it might take for salespeople to be successful. And like you said, the two kind of shared challenges that, that we're running into right now. Well, well, so certainly if you're Zoom calling, I say don't use a fake background. Mm. Call, call it out, you know, have, have what's behind you and that makes you a human being. And mm-hmm. where you can't be charming in person, you know, charming only goes so far. It's great to get mm-hmm. that first intro, but it's not going to convince them of the technical capabilities, but it will let them listen. So mm-hmm. by by broadcasting your home in whatever chaotic zone it is, <laughs> you suddenly become a person same as them. And I think it takes down uh, a bit of guard. So I, 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 you know, I used to do a lot of calls in my office and now I'm at home literally in my basement and my guitars are behind me. I have mm-hmm. way more human to human conversations now faster because of uh, because of those guitars back there than if I had a fake corporate office background behind me. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And then the the second thing again is to show the people who are involved on the team and and show their faces as soon as you can. So mm-hmm. if it's it, it's horrible, but humans trust faces that they can see like all right i know that person now because i can see them and they're smiling or they're not smiling <laughs> you, you you get a sense of people and I'm, I'm sure a lot of it's wrong you know I'm, I'm sure all the grumpy people on linkedin are actually nice people or many of them are they just look <laughs> grumpy on linkedin but it goes a very long way and so be mindful as to what that um what that persona is and don't shy away from showing who you are as a person on the zoom call 
I, I really love that. And I think, you know, that in conjunction with everything else you've been talking about in terms of just having a process, it, the analogy of, you know, when the tide comes out, you, you see, you know, <laughs> what's really on the, what's really under the water. And it's easy sometimes for salespeople who don't have a great process, who don't have um, a, a great ability to identify the ROI or who don't have the, um, the, a strong process around getting their team engaged and, and connected, but they're really great personalities and they're very charming and charismatic in a really great economy and in the old world, you could be very successful without having much of a process or with having your own unique process that nobody else in your organization shared, yeah. right? But well, when yeah, that's a, a really good point, Elizabeth. Getting that alignment yeah. is so incredibly important. Yeah, I, I think you make a really good point. The so the I feel really bad for the all those enterprise field uh, sales reps who were mm -hmm. who lived in the hotel room because they so they need to polish up their process. They need to be able to present, here's what we do. So the, the trust is less on trust me and more like trust my organization and trust our process. Mm -hmm. So that's why we say that that goes back to that credibility phase up front. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we say show a show a example mutual action plan up front and you'll say, like, we've, we've heard this kind of problem before. Here's what we've done 200 times before now. And here's kind mm -hmm. of what it looks like between today and you get into your happy place showing that um, that there's more than just a face promising this, that there's an organization and a process behind it becomes more important because it can't just be on the magnetism of your... If you can imagine, Elizabeth, touching another person's hand and wiggling it and getting their <laughs> COVID on you, it seems kind of weird. Back in the olden days, we used to do that. Uh, you've got to rely on something else now, which is, hey, look at this plan. We've done this a hundred times before. Here's the plan of how we'll get you there too. That mm -hmm. is the new, that's the new handshake is that we've done it before. Absolutely. And I, I didn't want to wind down our conversation without bringing that up because it's, again, there are a lot of things that um, are true now that have always been true, but they're just more important. And this to me is one of them. Um, you might've been able to do quite well without a process mm -hmm. before. But I can guarantee you, if you had a solid process, you could have been even better before. And now it's critical. <laughs> and so having that playbook, having that process, um, and as, you know, back to what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, leadership, having that transparency and that visibility into mm -hmm. the process, that's what's going to give you on your side the certainty. Because you need to have certainty just like your buyers do as well. But, you know, Elizabeth, I, I worry sometimes that people hear some words and they freak out like process. That sounds that's like scary. something that somebody does in an ivory tower. And that's great for the <laughs> massive enterprise company that has 10 sales operations people. So, And I, I worry that I um, that people tune out when they hear process. So I have that's a different a word point. for it. It's a plan. Mm -hmm. Have a plan. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be caught. It doesn't need to be. Uh, an awesome deal point mutual action plan platform it can be mm -hmm. it can be five bullet points in an email and you're still ahead of the game of yes here's and, and the reason that is is because in an environment like today people are looking for a lifeboat because we're flailing you know we we the people we're flailing out here because there is no certainty out there you know lord knows what's going to happen in the next six months so anybody mm -hmm. who has a little bit of certainty who's seen this before who can get you through it who has a plan 
that is a natural attraction. Attraction is a little bit like a lifeboat, because someone's saying, "Don't worry, I know where the shore is." I'm like, "I'm going to get on that guy's boat." It it feels a lot better to go with somebody who has a plan. So Absolutely. you can call it process, you can call it playbook. All those things sound a lot heavier than what they actually are, which is just have a semblance of an idea of what's going to happen today, tomorrow, and the day after that, and you will uh, you'll be like a, a moth to a flame. People will flock to you. Absolutely. I love that. And I, I always need to remember that the word process is not scary to me, but I'm not a normal person. So it's definitely it's not a 40 page PowerPoint and it's yes, not a, it's not a $300,000 engagement with not a big deal. It can be yes. like, what's that? You know, three bullet points is my plan. Yeah, absolutely. Better than nothing. Funny, we have a we have an email follow up template um, that we recommend uh, people send after a meeting, and it just literally has four categories, and and then you just put bullets, and it's you know what are your requirements? What do I need from you? What am I going to do if you give that to me? And what is the outcome that we're looking for? It's basically a mutual action plan um, in an email and it's literally bullets. And so often people think a plan, a process, it needs to be pretty. It needs to have, you know, that, that project management software look to it. So it's got boxes with arrows going to other boxes and there are circles and diamonds. And I don't know what the different shapes mean, Ah! Um, but really just writing things down. And then it also creates that ability to, um, to disagree, you know, the prospect might say, you're asking for this from me. I don't actually have that. I have this other similar thing. Is that the same thing? And again, that mm-hmm. could be a, a disqualifier or it could move you in a different direction. So absolutely. Great correction there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm pleased to say that deal point does not have any triangles. We do have some beautiful circles, but no actual triangle. <laughs> Sometimes you do have to show things visually. I just, I know, I'm sure you can picture this in your head. Those, those old fashioned like lines on a, on a graph. And it was like diamonds going to squares and each. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or, well, the, the traditional Gantt chart <laughs> no, is intimidating. Yes. It is. And it's, it shouldn't be, but it is. All right. Um, I would love to keep talking to you. I feel like every time we, we record, we're, we're sharing a brain, but um, I know we need to wind down. So um, one question I always like to ask is, do you have any books or, or you know, if, it, if it's not books, um, other resources that you might recommend to our listeners if they want to either take a deeper dive into what we've been talking about, or they could be just other best practices and, um, and yeah. resources that you might want to share? So I've got two things. Of course, the dealpoint.io, we, we put a lot of, we put a lot of thought out there on uh, how to plan well and how to present your plans and how to get that buyer buy-in. So dealpoint.io is a good one. Um, KD Dorsey, who is uh, one of my favorite sales leaders, I was speaking to him the day before yesterday. He recommended this book, Jab, 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 Right Hook by um, <laughs> Gary uh, Vaynerchuk. I'm ah. really, I've, I've ordered it. I'm really looking forward to it because uh, his point is you can give value all day long, but if you don't close, you go out of business. And I love that. So I'm, yes. I've ordered that. I'm really looking forward to it. And I've actually started reading The Warmth of Other Suns, which talks about mm. the uh, great migration of uh, African-Americans from the South to the Northern mm-hmm. Industrial mm-hmm. and California. Um, so not particularly sales oriented, uh, oriented but has really opened my eyes as to um, what was literally the biggest immigration um, of a people uh, in the past hundred years. So I'm really enjoying that. And it's opening my eyes to some of the wrong assumptions I had about um, my life and American life in general. So uh, 
final recommendation is The uh, Transparency Sale by Todd Capone, which is one of my favorite books about being more transparent with customers. So one I've read, one I'm reading, and one I'm looking forward to getting uh, as soon as it arrives uh, is where I stand right now. I love uh, I love those categories. All right. Well, if you want people to learn more about you and your work, um, I know dealpoint.io, but is there anywhere else that you would recommend people go? Uh, so certainly on LinkedIn, uh, search for DealPoint. There's a lot of Tom Williamses out there, uh, several of whom actually <laughs> do sales process. So look for oh, wow. the Tom Williams, the DealPoint one. Uh, as I said, we have a standing offer. We will, we're, we're happy to uh, analyze your sales process and show you how it could be more customer centric. Uh, we do like a, a good, bad, ugly analysis of your existing thing and just show you some of the easy low hanging fruit to make it more customer friendly. Happy to do that for anyone. Uh, I also do a mean lunch and learn where I'll come in and talk to a, to a sales team about the value of mutual action plans and getting that buyer acceptance of the plan. Uh, I swear I don't even talk about deal point. It's just about the idea of uh, aligning with your customer and how helpful it can be to the customer and to yourself as a salesperson. So uh, I've got that dialed into a mean 40 minutes. So you buy them lunch. I'll tell them all about mutual action plans and uh, everyone's a winner. Nice. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for coming back and speaking to me, Tom. I really appreciated our conversation today. Thank you, Elizabeth. Enjoyable as always. And hopefully talk to you in another six months or so. Something, something new <laughs> will happen. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hopefully a better thing. All right. Yes. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. This episode of Let's Talk Sales was hosted by Elizabeth Frederick and featured Tom Williams. You can find the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 282. You can also learn more from CFS on our blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights or on Twitter at CFS Playbook. If you enjoyed today's show, hit subscribe from wherever you're listening and be sure to recommend us to a friend. Also, we love hearing from our listeners. Feel free to email us with questions, comments, and guest inquiries at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Elizabeth Frederick and me, Rylan Sylvester. Happy selling, everyone. <laughs>